ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله verily the praise belongs to allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger we'd like to begin our lecture this, this evening lecture number 5 from the sharh of kitab at-tawhid alladhi هو حق الله على العبيد الإمام محمد بن عبد الوهاب ابن سليمان التميمي النجدي رحمه الله This evening the chapter that we want to discuss باذن الله تعالى is the chapter entitled الخوف من الشرك باب الخوف من الشرك the chapter entitled fear fear of shirk and <coughs> you can find this chapter in the explanation the uh, edition of the explanation of kitab tawhid uh, which contains the explanation on page 29 to 33 and in the other edition Maktab al-Dar al-Salam edition which doesn't contain explanation but it contains the issues, the important issues at the end of the chapter. You can find it on page 32 and 33. Here, Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, mentions five evidences from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah. of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam related to the issue of al-khawf or fear of ash-shirk and before mentioning the evidences that are contained in this chapter to put it in perspective we should keep in mind that the earlier chapters or the earlier sections which we covered dealt with the definition or explanation or clarification of what is tawhid and then the merit or excellence of at-tawheed fadl at-tawheed and those sins which it removes and then after that the previous chapter and this chapter if we look at them we will see that here al-imam muhammad ibn abdul wahhab rahimahullah mentions two chapters which are the foundation of the book the previous chapter it is the one who achieves or maintains 
or purifies this tawheed and keeps it free of any corruption or any defect. Man haqqaqa tawheed dakhal al-jannah The one who fully implements the tawheed and keeps the tawheed pure from any defect, whether of shirk or disobedience or innovation, then that person will enter paradise without giving account. And this chapter, along with that chapter, are the two foundations of the book. This chapter is Al-Khawf Min Al-Shirk, which makes us to understand that in order to fulfill or to achieve a tawheed and to keep it pure and maintain it and protect it and preserve it, we have to have a fear of shirk. And you cannot fear shirk unless you know what it is. So first we have to know what is shirk and what are its different types and manifestations and causes and the dangers of a shirk. The one who has this knowledge will indeed have a fear of it. And that one who fears a shirk, then he will be expected to maintain his tawheed free of the corruption of a shirk. Some of the scholars, or most of the scholars, have divided a shirk into two types. A shirk al-akbar, major shirk, and a shirk al-asghar, minor shirk. And some scholars have also included a third division, that is shirk khafi, or the hidden or inconspicuous shirk, that shirk which is very subtle and difficult to detect and unnoticeable. And some included that shirk, shirk khafi under either of the previous two divisions. That is, that inconspicuous or hidden shirk, it might be major and it might be minor. In any case, these divisions have their place and we will discuss them further as we go along. As for Shirk al-Akbar, many of the scholars defined it in similar terminology saying that it is when someone ascribes to Allah a partner or makes something or someone as an equal sharik with Allah specifically in ibadah. Though it may be in any one of the types of tawheed, tawheed al-rububiyyah or tawheed al-asma wa-sifat or tawheed al-ubudiyyah, uluhiyyah. It may be in any one of them, but especially if it is in the shirk, it is, if it, the shirk is in the tawheed of uluhiyyah or ubudiyyah, in the matters of worship, that we offer any type of worship to someone or something other than Allah as an equal to Him, such as supplicating or calling on or asking our needs from other than Allah or having hope in other than Allah or fearing other than Allah or loving something or someone as we should love Allah alone with the love that is exclusive to Allah alone or offering any other type of the types of ibadah that belong to Allah alone in every type of ibadah it is the right of Allah alone and the one who commits such an act of offering any act of worship to other than Allah, this is the one who is described as the mushrik, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden their entry or admittance to the paradise. And he has made obligatory their entry 
to the hellfire. The one who commits the shirk, shirk al-akbar, major shirk, is a mushrik who is out of Islam and who is forbidden to enter the paradise and guaranteed a place in the hellfire. As for shirk al-asghar, minor shirk, some of the scholars define it in different ways. The meaning is similar, that every type of speech or action that leads to or opens the way towards a shirk al-akbar, every speech or action that is a means or a cause or opens the way to shirk al-akbar, then this is shirk asghar. That which leads the way or opens the way to shirk al-akbar, such as making an oath by other than Allah, yani swearing by other than Allah, it is considered minor shirk because it opens the way. It opens the way to considering that one who you swear by as being equal with Allah because the oath should be made only by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and likewise a small amount or an insignificant degree of riya showing off or ostentation it is also considered as a type of minor shirk riya likewise the absence of al-ikhlas in the action that, some, that someone does or the deed that someone does for the sake of Allah. If ikhlas or sincerity is absent from that action, this is also a form of a shirk al-asghar or minor shirk. And likewise, one of the main guidelines to determining shirk al-asghar is when anyone considers something as a cause or a reason for something to happen, whether to gain some benefit or to repulse any harm. And that cause or reason that they hope and expect and believe can protect them or give them some benefit is a cause or a reason that is not legislated in the Sharia. For example, supplication, a dua, it is a cause or a reason that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated as a means to ask for that which you need of good or to protect you from harm. Supplication is a suburb a cause or a reason that's legislated in the Sharia. So if a person supplicates, it is correct to do so because Allah has ordered us to supplicate to him. If a person fat, saum, as a cause or a reason to earn the pleasure of Allah and his forgiveness of their sins, it is a cause or a reason that Allah has legislated as a means to gain his favor and to gain his forgiveness. Whereas if someone, for example, goes to the grave and praise to the person in the grave or praise near the grave because of their belief that the person buried in that grave is holy or a saint and that praying near their grave will get their supplications answered even by praying to Allah but with the belief that praying near that grave is the reason for prayers to be accepted this is a sabab or a cause that is not legislated in the Sharia therefore this is taking something as a cause that Allah hasn't legislated to cause anything and it is minor shirk so all of those things that open the way to major shirk or doing something for others to see so that they may praise you, ar-riyah or the absence of sincerity in one's actions doing it, yani the absence of doing it for the sake of Allah alone or taking anything as a cause or reason other than what Allah has legislated all of these are considered from amongst ash-shirk al-asghar, minor shirk Considering this, 
these two divisions of shirk and both of them are severe and serious and we should have fear of them when we know that shirk is that which necessitates a person to enter the fire and perhaps to remain in the fire forever if it is major shirk and they die on it without repenting and that it is the cause that prevents a person from entering the paradise if it is major shirk then it will prevent them from ever entering the paradise no one who dies on major shirk and who committed major shirk worshipping something or offering worship to someone or something other than Allah and they didn't repent from it and they died with it they would never enter the paradise when we know this and when we know that a person cannot achieve the perfect and pure happiness and success in this life or in the next except by remaining safe and free from a shirk then for this reason we can understand the reason we can understand why al-imam muhammad ibn abdul wahhab rahimahullah entitled this chapter al-khawf min al-shirk why a person should fear shirk why a person should fear it with the greatest of fear and that we should hasten and rush to escape from it to escape from shirk and escape from all of the roads the ways that lead to it or the means that bring it about or the causes or reasons of shirk and we should ask Allah to protect us and make us safe from that shirk just as the prophets the messengers and prophets and the best of creation used to ask Allah to protect them from a shirk how much more so do we need to fear it and ask Allah his protection from it and in these are words of introduction that perhaps it makes us to know that the importance of fearing a shirk it is a negation of a tawheed and a cause for a person to enter the fire and a prohibition of that person from entering the paradise so here al-imam muhammad ibn abdul wahhab rahimahullah begins with the first proof that he has concerning this chapter and today inshallah i will follow to a great extent the uh, outline of al-jadid fi sharh kitab al-tawheed that is this book i will try to follow it today as much as possible uh, perhaps with some extra comments before going to the masail from the other book the first evidence that he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah an-nisa chapter 4 verse 48 and i think the same ayah is also mentioned again in surah an-nisa in chapter 116 the saying of Allah inna Allah la yaghfir ay yushraka bihi wa yaghfir ma duna dhalik liman yasha that verily Allah he doesn't forgive ay yushraka bihi that shirk should be done that someone should commit an act of shirk by joining someone with him as an equal to him or making someone similar to him in the right to receive some type of worship allah doesn't forgive that anyone commits shirk with him wa yaghfiru ma duna dhalik liman yasha and he forgives whatever is less than that ma duna dhalik it doesn't mean anything other than that it means whatever is less than that ويغفر ما دون ذلك يعني whatever is less than shirk Allah forgives whatever is less than shirk with the condition لمن يشاء if he wills if it is the mashia of Allah anything less than shirk it will be under the mashia of Allah under Allah's will on yawm al-qiyamah those people who committed any act major sins al-kaba'ir or minor sins and they didn't repent from them in this life 
Then on Yawm Qiyamah, when the judgment came upon that person, it is Allah's will to do as He wills, to punish that person justly, or to forgive them if He wills. Anything less than shirk. As for shirk, He will never forgive shirk. And the scholars differed as to whether or not this shirk in this ayat, it means all types of shirk, major and minor, or it means only major shirk. As for the major shirk, there is no doubt about it, that it will never be forgiven. As for the minor shirk, some of the scholars said, that if a person committed minor shirk and they didn't repent from it then on Yom Qiyamah they will be under the Mashiach of Allah Allah may forgive them if He wills or He may punish them for some time justly and then they will come out of the fire minor shirk so Allah doesn't forgive shirk and He forgives anything less than shirk the other sins that are less than shirk He forgives them to whomever He wills from amongst the Muslims who died on Tawheed وَمَيْ يُشْرِكْ And this ayah, though Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab didn't complete the ayah here, but the continuation of this ayah is really also of importance. وَمَيْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ إِفْتَرَى إِثْمًا عَظِيمًا After stating the fact that Allah will not forgive shirk, and that He may forgive anything less than that if He wills, then He said, وَمَيْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ And whoever makes shirk with Allah, especially in ibadah, offering worship to anyone other than Allah, which is major shirk, فَقَدْ إِفْتَرَى And that person has invented a lie. They have lied on Allah. And this is إِثْمًا عَظِيمًا It is a great sin. A sin that no other sin is equal to it. It is the sin, a shirk. It is here Allah describes as إِثْمًا عَظِيمًا a, a tremendous, terrible sin. The sin which doesn't have any equal. It is the worst of all sins, a shirk. Verily Allah doesn't forgive that someone should be worshipped along with him. It means that if anyone worships something along with Allah, joining them to him, or if they offer any type of worship to anything or anyone independent of Allah, any type of worship, then this is shirk that Allah will never forgive. Here, the author, the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Aziz Sulaiman al-Qara'awi, who is the author of the book that we are following for the Shah, al-Jadid, fi Shah Kitab al-Tawheed, he says that the general meaning of this ayah is that when we know that shirk is the most dangerous of all sins, and the most ugly and evil, and the most severely punished sin, and when we know that it contains the idea of tanqif, which means to attribute to Allah naqs, defect or shortcoming. Making shirk is a manner of attributing a defect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He is not perfect. Because if He is perfect, and He is the only one who is perfect, then nothing else deserves to be worshipped along with Him. But when we worship something along with Him, it is in a way saying that that thing is equal to him. And obviously that thing is imperfect. Therefore we are attributing imperfection and shortcoming and defect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, this making shirk with Allah, it is also in a way a tashbih, a comparison of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creatures. And the creatures, the makhluk is definitely imperfect. So when we join anyone or anything as an equal to Allah, it is as though we are saying 
that there is a similarity between that thing, that makhluk, created thing, and Allah, the Khalif, the Creator. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, due to this, the severity of the sin and the ugliness, and the severity of the punishment for shirk, and that it is a means of attributing defect to Allah and comparing Him to the creation, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He informs us in this verse that He would never forgive the one who commits shirk and dies on that shirk without repenting. As for the one who dies on tawheed, even if he has some sins that he didn't repent from, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised him al-maghfirah in accordance with his mashia or his will. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he would forgive anything left than that. That is, those who die on tawheed without shirk and they committed whatever sins they may have committed, then if they didn't repent from it, Allah promises them forgiveness in accordance with his will, as he wills. Uh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains the reason why he doesn't forgive the mushrik, and it is because their action, it is a means of denial of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani their worshipping of something along with Allah, it is a denial of Allah, and it is a great sin which has no equal. Therefore, Allah does not forgive it, and He will never forgive it. From this ayah, the author mentions four points. The first of them is that whoever dies committing major shirk, and these points are contained in the book, then it is obligatory on that person to be punished in the fire, to enter the fire. And whoever dies on tawheed, even if they have committed al-kabair, or major sins, then the forgiveness of their sins will be in accordance with the Mashiach of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah wills. Also in this ayat, there is a refutation of the khawarij. Those who used to make takfir of people because of sins. And also it is a refutation of the mu'tazila. Those who used to consider that the people who committed al-kabair, the major sins, that that person would be eternally in the hellfire. And the opinion of the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila, as we have said on a number of occasions, are very similar. In the end of it all, their opinion is the same. The Khawarij said in this world that those people who commit major sins are kafirs. And the Mu'tazila said that they are between two stations, between Bain Manzilatain, between Al-Iman and between Kufr. They are not saying that they are believers nor they are kafir, but they are saying in the end, in the next life, they will be in the hellfire forever. Therefore, Yani, ultimately their opinion is the same as the Khawarij, that these people are kafirs, because the only one who remains in the hellfire forever is the kafir, the person who dies on kufr. So this verse is a refutation of them, because Allah says that He would forgive anything less than shirk to whomever He wills. So the major sins are included in that, that's less than shirk. And Allah may forgive them if He wills, therefore nobody can say with certainty that somebody would be in the hellfire forever, or even that they would definitely be in the hellfire, because they didn't repent from their major sins, because Allah may forgive them, if he wills. Likewise, in this verse is the confirmation or isbat of the sifa, the characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of al-mashiyah, that Allah has a will, and that Allah does whatever he wills. Whatever Allah wills will be, and whatever he doesn't will, it will never be. Also, the relationship between this verse and the chapter, fear from shirk, is that this ayat indicates that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never forgive the shirk would never forgive the person who commits shirk, therefore it is obligatory on us and a necessity that we should have fear of the shirk and we should be warned from it. If we know that Allah will never forgive it, then obviously this is the reason why we should have khawf or fear from a shirk. The next uh, evidence that he mentions, the second one is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ibrahim 
chapter 14 verse 35 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا الْبَلَدَ آمِنًا وَجَنُبَنِي وَبَنِيَّ أَنْ نَعْبُدَ الْأَسْنَامِ the saying of Allah he said remember when Ibrahim alayhi salam said my lord اِجْعَلْ هَذَا الْبَلَدَ آمِنًا make this land or this city or this place Mecca make it safe and secure وَجَنُبَنِي وَبَنِيَّ أَنْ نَعْبُدَ الْأَسْنَامِ and make me to be far removed and distant me and my children from the worship of the idols الْأَسْنَامِ protect me and make a shield between me and my children and the worship of the idols here the author الشيخ القرعاوي Hafidhullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, says the general meaning of this verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that the Prophet Ibrahim salam made supplication for Mecca, that it be safe and secure and stable. And that is because fear and confusion or chaos prevents the people from fulfilling the manasik or the rights that they come to Mecca for, the performance of Hajj and Umrah. So the first thing he asks, is that Allah make Mecca safe and secure and stable so that the people coming there for pilgrimage that they will be able to perform it without any fear and without any problem then he added to this supplication or this dua he asked Allah for another request and that is that he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove him and to make him to be distant him and his children from the worship of idols and that was because he knew the danger of worshipping the idols and the teth or the fitna that the people had from those idols. And this is understood from the saying, Rabbi inna hunna adalalna kathiran minan nas. That's verily, inna hunna, the asnam, the idols, adalalna, that they led astray kathiran minan nas. So many of the people, not a few, but many. And for this reason, the Prophet Ibrahim the Khalil of Allah, the one who was the friend, the close friend of Allah, beloved of Allah, he asked Allah to protect him and his children from the worship of idols, those idols which cause many, many of the people to go astray. Here he said six points related to this verse or fawa'id, benefits from this verse, is the excellence or merit of Mecca over other cities. Also, the dua of Ibrahim for Mecca that he made supplication that Mecca be safe and secure and stable. And also, the confirmation of the fact that dua benefits. Yani the fact that Ibrahim supplicated for Mecca and his supplication was answered and there is a great benefit until today that the people are receiving from the dua or the supplication of Ibrahim is a proof for us and an encouragement to us that we should supplicate to Allah, that we should ask him for those things of benefit and we should ask him to protect us from harm. Also that the origin or the foundation of the religion of all the prophets and messengers that it is one and the same and it is a tawheed. The foundation of the way or the deen of Ibrahim it was tawheed. And likewise the foundation of all of the other prophets way it was a tawheed. Likewise here he says the istihbab or the encouragement that it is commendable and beloved to, for a person to supplicate for their offspring. And this is also understood from the supplication of Ibrahim not only for himself but also for his children. And likewise, when we supplicate, we should also remember to supplicate for our offspring, near and far. And finally, he said, the prohibition of worshipping idols is also indicated in this verse. And then he says, the relationship between this verse and the chapter, fear from a shirk, 
is that this ayat, uh, since it indicates that Ibrahim salam, even with the quwa of his iman, the strength of his iman, Ibrahim, the one who as a child broke the idols, he was the one who broke the idols that the people, his family and his tribe and people were worshipping. He was, even though his, the strength of his iman and his knowledge of the idols and their danger, but he was fearing for himself and fearing for his children from shirk. Then how much more should we, who are less than him in iman and in status and nearness to Allah, also fear shirk? How much more should we fear it and seek refuge in Allah from that shirk? Uh, the next evidence, the third, is the hadith of the Prophet that's reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed on the authority of Mahmud ibn Labib radiallahu anhu, who was a child in the time of the Prophet He saw the Prophet in his lifetime and many of the scholars considered this hadith to be sahih from amongst them of the earlier scholars. Uh, Al-Munzari said the hadith is jayyid. Al-Iraqi said that its narrators are thiqat, reliable. And Al-Hafiz ibn Hajjah said that the Isnad is Hassan, and from amongst the contemporary scholars, uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Arnaud, in his tahqiq or checking of the Shaq al-Sunnah by Imam al-Baghawi, said that the Isnad is Qawi. So we can see from this that this hadith is an authentic hadith, even though perhaps some people may doubt it. In this hadith, as it's worded in the text of the book, he says that, and fil hadith, أَخْوَفُ مَا أَقَافُ عَلَيْكُمْ الشِّرْكَ الْأَصْغَرَ that the most fearful of that which I fear for you, meaning the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, the most frightening of that which I fear upon you is al-shirk al-asghar or mayna shirk. Then he was asked about this mayna shirk, faqala Then he said, it is arriya. Uh, the full text of this hadith is found in the Shah, the Shah al-Sunnah or Imam al-Baghwi. It's actually a little more interesting. And here it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ said, That the most frightening or fearful of that which I fear for you is minus shirk. Then they said, O Messenger of Allah, what is minus shirk? He said, It is showing off or ostentation. Doing something, an act of worship that is supposed to be for the pleasure of Allah, but doing it so that people may see and praise you and that you may. Yani, be looked up to by the people because of this act of worship. Yep. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, and this is the completion of the hadith that's not mentioned in the text of the book, بأعمالهم, He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to them on the day when the people, when the slaves would be recompensed or rewarded for their actions, He will say to them, اذهبوا إلى الذين كنتم تراؤون في الدنيا Go to those who you used to do those acts of worship to be seen. When you were in the world, go to those people that you were trying to be seen by. Then look and see if you will find any reward from them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to those who used to perfect their prayer, or who used to do some good deeds to be seen by people, on Yom Qiyamah, when the time for the reward for those deeds will come, he will say, go to those people that you were doing that deed in order to be seen and praised by them and see if you will find the reward from them. There will, there will be no reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for such deeds. Then he says that ar 
it is doing something to be seen by others, yani doing some good deed or righteous action, such as improving or perfecting or elongating one's salat, so that the people may see it. And some of the scholars said, Ar-Riyah is taken from the word Ar-Ru'ya, a vision or a sight, or to see something, and that is because the person does some righteous deed, and they do it openly, so that people may see them and praise them for it. So that there may be a ru'ya, that people may see what they are doing, and then praise them, and respect them, and look up to them. When in fact, whatever we do of righteous deeds, it should be done exclusively, and purely with ikhlas, for the pleasure of Allah alone. Here the Shaykh says, Al-Qur'awi, Hafidahullah, he says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ has informed us in this hadith that he fears for us, that he has fear for us. The Messenger of Allah ﷺ fears for us. And the thing that he fears most for us, it is shirk al-asghar. Shirk al-asghar. And that doesn't mean that shirk al-asghar is worse than shirk al-akbar. But there's a difference between the two. Shirk al-akbar is worse by far. Shirk al-akbar takes somebody out of Islam and prohibits them entering the paradise and guarantees a seat in the hellfire eternally, never to come out. Not so, shirk al-asghar. But the difference is that shirk al-akbar, it is clear. And the true believers know about it. And would, you can hardly find a true believer entering into shirk al-akbar. But shirk al-asghar is subtle and difficult to detect or to recognize. The person may do it and not even know that they are doing it. For this reason, the Prophet ﷺ said it was the thing that he feared most. Minus shirk. And in this case he was talking about ar-riyah. And the reason for this fear, it was because of the characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ, his kind-heartedness, compassion, mercy and pity for the believers, and also his great concern for that which corrects and improves the condition of the believers. And also due to the fact of what he knew of the power and the force and the strength of the causes of shirk al-akbar. That the, the force behind or the causes for shirk al-akbar are very strong. They are very strong and also because of the fact that there are many, many reasons or causes that cause shirk al-akbar. And perhaps it may become mixed into the person's actions or their ibadah. Here he says, Khalid Aqaid al-Muslimin. And perhaps the real meaning of this is that it became mixed with the ibadah of the believers. That the ibadah became mixed with ar-riyah, showing off or ostentation in a way that they couldn't detect it min and they don't even know it so it caused harm to them without them even being aware of it for this reason the Prophet ﷺ cautioned us from it and warned us against it from this hadith the author mentions four points that may be derived from it or fawaid the first of them is the great concern of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ for his ummah the second of them is the division of shirk into akbar and asghar, major and minor shirk. Yani that there is such a thing as major shirk and minor shirk. Here the Prophet ﷺ alluded to that when he said, I fear for you a shirk al-asghar. Which means that there is also another type of shirk that is al-akbar. And likewise, the fact or the consideration that ar-riyah, ostentation, or showing off to be seen by others, it is a type of shirk. It is a type of shirk. And finally he says the obligation of asking the scholars, the Ahlul Ilm, about that which is not clear to us. Or, the ruling. When the ruling of a thing is not clear. It's not, يعني, uh, it's something that may be difficult to detect or to know. In that case, or in any matter that we don't know, it is obligatory 
as the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, when they didn't know what he meant by shirk al-asghar, they asked him. They said, Ya Rasulullah, what is this shirk al-asghar? And it is also our obligation to ask the people of knowledge about that which we don't know or which is not clear to us. Here it says that the relationship between this hadith and the chapter fear from shirk is that in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, it indicates that he feared for his companions. In spite of the fact that their iman was very strong, he feared for them from falling into minor shirk. Therefore, we, the people of today, with the weakness of our iman and the little amount of knowledge that we have in comparison to the knowledge that they had, it is then obligatory on us to fear, not only from shirk al-asqa, but from both types of shirk, the major as well as the minor. We have more right to fear it than the Prophet ﷺ fear for his companions who understood the deen and who had better knowledge than we have and who had stronger iman and were closer to Allah than us. If the Prophet ﷺ feared for his companions falling into shirk, then all the more so we should fear ourselves from falling into shirk. Uh, of both types, not only minor shirk, but for us today, in that time, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, he had no fear that they would fall into major shirk that they would worship an idol, or worship some thing of the creation, that they would bow down to a man, or pray to a, a dead body in the grave. He had no fear of them falling into that kind of shirk, offering uh, some sacrifice to other than Allah. He didn't fear that. But he feared for them the minor shirk, which is possible for any of the righteous and the believers to fall into. That was what he feared for them. But unfortunately today we have to fear even from major shirk, as we see throughout the Muslim world. Major shirk is spread throughout the earth. Or people are going to the graves, praying to the dead. And dua, supplication, is ibadah. And dua, whole ibadah. It is the essence or the heart of ibadah. How can we pray to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Making sacrifices to the dead at the graves. And giving charity to them. And making tawaf around their graves. And all the other types of major shirk. Major shirk that actually remove the person from Islam. And if they die on that without repenting, they're guaranteed to be in the hellfire forever we should definitely indeed fear from it. And if we fear from it, we should warn those who we know and those who we love and those who are close to us from these types of shirk, both major as well as minor. The fourth evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah mentions is the hadith reported by Al-Bukhari an ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal man mata wa huwa yad'u min dunillahi niddan that whoever Abd ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, whoever died, wa huwa yad'u min dunillahi niddan, while he is supplicating to something less than Allah, anyone or anything that is less than Allah, and that means anything other than Allah, whoever is supplicating, and here dua, it means any type of ibadah, not only supplication, but anyone who offers any ibadah, whether it's supplication, or sacrificing, or any other, having hope or fear or love that belongs to Allah alone, any other act of worship that is the right of Allah alone, likewise it is included here. Whoever supplicates, whoever dies while having supplicated other than Allah, making it as an equal or an, a partner to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that person will enter the hellfire, reported by Al-Bukhari. And here he says that dua the intended meaning of dua here is an. Dua al-ibadah and, and dua al-mas'ala. Dua is of two types. As the scholars of Sunnah said, dua al-ibadah and dua al-mas'ala. 
Dua al-ibadah, it means the supplication or requesting or seeking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not by words alone, but by ibadah, by doing some act of ibadah, like the person who makes salat in the night. Not their words, but their condition of praying to Allah, making salat, it is a supplication, it is a form of supplication, because by making that salat, it is as though he is saying, Oh Allah, give me your reward, I am seeking your pleasure, I want your forgiveness. So the act of ibadah, it is a supplication. This is the first type of dua, dua al-ibadah. By doing an act of worship, such as prayer or fasting or giving charity, as a means to request from Allah His favor and His forgiveness and His reward. This is a supplication. It is dua by action. And as the people used to say in the Western world, actions speak louder than words. Our supplication by words to Allah, asking for His forgiveness, is meaningless if we don't back it with actions. So this dua al-ibadah, it may be stronger than the dua of supplication by words because our action of praying to him and fasting for him and giving charity in his way and doing other acts of worship it is a stronger indication of our sincerity than just standing in the night supplicating or after every prayer supplicating we are supplicating asking Allah for his forgiveness but then we go out of the masjid and do all of the sins that Allah has prohibited from us and that he is displeased with so that the dua of ibadah it means doing an act of worship with the hope of asking or with the intention of asking by that act of worship for Allah's favor. The second type of dua is dua al-mas'ala and that's the dua that we commonly think of when we say dua or supplication. It is the dua of asking for something. Al-mas'ala is from sa'ala, yas'alu, to ask or to request something. Dua al-mas'ala, it means when you supplicate to Allah asking, oh Allah give me this, oh Allah protect me from this, oh Allah forgive my sins, oh Allah do for my children or heal this person or whatever, by words. By words, this dua is dua al-mas'ala. And Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, in his explanation, al-qawl uh, al-mufid, the shahr kitab al-tawheed, which we will refer to from time to time, or which we are referring to often, but sometimes I am not mentioning it, but it is coming from there. He said that the dua al-mas'ala is also divided into three divisions or three types. Dua al-mas'ala. Dua al-mas'ala, it is the su'al. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something. This one is legislated in the Sharia. It is commendable, praiseworthy, and rewardable. Su'al Allah. Dua al-mas'ala is of three types. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for your needs, whatever it may be. And this is legislated in Islam. And it is praiseworthy and rewardable. The second one is dua ghayrullah. That is su'al other than Allah. Asking those other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is of two types. And that's why we said three. The first one is asking Allah. And the second two is asking other than Allah. Asking that which the person who you are asking is capable of fulfilling is lawful. If you ask somebody, give me charity. Or if you ask somebody, help me to the hospital. They are capable of fulfilling your request. This type of asking other than Allah is permissible. It's lawful. As for the other type is asking the people for that which they are not capable of doing, which only Allah is capable of doing, this is haram, and this is the dua, al-mas'ala, that is forbidden. Yani asking, for example, the person in the grave to heal your child. Or asking someone who is living to bring rain down, because there is a drought, and they don't have the power to make rain, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So asking, other than Allah, that which they have the ability to do is permissible, jaiz. 
But asking other than Allah, that which they don't have the ability to do is haram. So the dua, as we said, is of two types. Dua al-ibadah, doing acts of worship, hoping for Allah's favor and reward. And dua al-mas'ala, that is asking for something. And that is of three types, asking Allah, which is legislated. Asking other than Allah, that which they are capable of doing, which is jaya, is permissible. And asking other than Allah, that which they are not capable of doing, which is haram. Here, the Shaykh briefly mentions the explanation of this hadith, is that the Prophet ﷺ informed us here, in this hadith, that whoever offers anything that is the exclusive right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to other than Allah whether it is praise, hope, fear, love, charity, sacrifice, salat or whatever if anyone does any act that is the exclusive right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such as in this hadith a dua supplication but it also includes any other act that's the right of Allah alone whoever does so and they die while they continued in that act without making repentance from it then that person's destination is the hellfire. And whoever does so, the Prophet ﷺ said, that that person is guaranteed the hellfire. And here from this hadith, he mentions two benefits, two of the fawaid. One, which is crystal clear, that whoever dies on shirk, that they would enter the hellfire, and they would remain in it forever, if it was shirk akbar. If it was shirk akbar, they died without repenting from it, they would enter the hellfire and remain in it forever. And if it was shirk asghar, then Allah may forgive them, Allah may punish them if He wills, uh, as much as He wills, and then uh, He will allow them to come out of the hellfire. Yani, the person who dies on shirk, if it is shirk akbar, they will remain in the hellfire forever, and if it is shirk asghar, minus shirk, then Allah will punish them as much as He wills, and then He will allow them to come out of the hellfire. And some of the scholars said that even shirk, shirk asgha minus shirk, that it's possible Allah may forgive it. And some said that all types of shirk Allah will never forgive it. According to the way the ayah was understood, some said that Allah will never forgive shirk. It means all types of shirk. In that case, the person who dies even with minus shirk, if they didn't repent from it, they would have to be punished as Allah wills and then they would come out of the fire. Whereas the others said that that shirk which will never be forgiven is only major shirk. In that case, on Yom Qiyam, if a person died with minor shirk, with minor shirk as a Muslim, but committing some minor shirk from which they didn't repent, then Allah may forgive them if He wills. Uh, then He said, also the second point is that from this hadith we understand that the final actions of a person, al-ibra bil-amal khawatimuha. Their condition. So that if a person died having committed shirk without having repented from it, then this would be their condition. And this is also understood from the hadith of the Prophet Wasallam that uh, everything has already been written and some person, they might do the deeds of the people of hellfire until they are arm length from the hellfire and that which is written will overtake them. And they would do the deeds of the people of paradise at the end of their life. That was what they would die on and they would enter the paradise. And other people might do the deeds of the people of paradise and then when they are in arm's length from that which, yani from dying, then that which was written, it would overtake them. And they would begin doing the deeds of the people of the hellfire, and they would enter the hellfire. And perhaps this hadith requires some explanation, now is not the time to do so. But some of the scholars have explained it by another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which is really crystal clear. And it means that some people, those who will be doing the deeds of the people of paradise until just before their death, and that which was written overtake them, means 
that they would be doing that which appears to the people as the deeds of the people of paradise while in fact they were hypocrites they were not doing it for the sake of Allah and therefore Allah would make them manifest in the end of their life and they would begin to do the deeds of the people of hellfire and enter that which was written for them and justified for them uh, here he says that the relationship between this hadith and the chapter is that this hadith indicates that whoever dies while supplicating other than Allah or making something that is equal to Allah in supplication or in any act of ibadah that person would enter the hellfire and therefore if we know that it is obligatory in us to also fear from a shirk then the final evidence that the shaykh mentions is the hadith from the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Jabir radiallahu anhu anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama qal man laqi Allah la yushrik bihi shaya dakhal al-jannah that whoever meets Allah meaning on yawm qiyamah while they have not they have not made any shirk with Allah in anything or in any way dakhal al-jannah then they would enter the paradise wa man laqiyahu yushrik bihi shaya dakhal al-nar and whoever meets him meaning on yawm qiyamah while they have committed some act of shirk which they haven't which they haven't repented from and they would enter the hellfire. He says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ informs us that whoever died while not having committed any act of shirk, not joining anyone as an equal with Allah, not in his rububiyyah, lordship, nor in his uluhiyah, in worship, nor in his asma wa sifat, then that person who died without any type of shirk, then they would enter the paradise. But if that person died as a mushrik, worshipping something along with Allah, then his destination would be the hellfire. Here, of the fawaid, he mentions four, the confirmation of the existence of paradise and hellfire. Then whoever died, not worshipping anything with Allah, they would enter paradise. And whoever died, making something as a partner with Allah, would enter the hellfire. This is the confirmation of the Jannah and Naab. Also, he mentions again that the final actions of a person are what would be considered as far as their destination. And then he says, number three, whoever died on Tawheed, that he would not remain in the hellfire forever and that his eventual destination would be the paradise meaning even if he was punished for some sins that he didn't repent from that he would not be eternally in the hellfire but he would enter the paradise eventually and whoever died on shirk then it is obligatory on him to enter the hellfire the relationship between this hadith and the chapter al-khawf min al-shirk or fear from shirk is that this hadith indicates that everyone who died on shirk will enter the hellfire and that is based on the opinion of those scholars who said that major shirk and minor shirk will not be forgiven that means even the person who committed minor shirk even if they wouldn't remain in the hellfire forever but they would have to be punished according to that opinion that the ayah that Allah will not forgive shirk includes major and minor then every person who died with any type of shirk will enter the hellfire therefore it is obligatory on us to fear from shirk in all of its types in all of its types even if we said that minor shirk, the person wouldn't remain in the hellfire forever, still it's something to fear that a person would be punished in the hellfire. This is the end of what he says uh, concerning this and remaining are the messiah or the issues. Uh, perhaps as quickly as possible we'll try to cover the issues. Uh, with some of the comments of Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih Uthaymeen, Rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him. <coughs> The first issue, the Messiah that's mentioned in the other translation, the Dar Salam edition, the first issue from Sheikh Muhammad and Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, the first issue is Al-Khawf min al-Shirk. The first issue is that a person should have fear from Shirk. Why? Because Allah said He would never 
forgive shirk. That is, as long as the person didn't repent from it. And also because of the fact that Ibrahim prayed to Allah to remove him and his children from the worship of idols. This is, a, this is the reason why we should fear shirk. The second uh, issue is that riyah, ostentation or showing off, is a form of shirk. And if a person does something, if they're in their prayer and they see people come while they were praying alone and people are watching or looking at them and then they lengthen their prayer or try to pray more perfectly or try to make their voice more beautiful, then this may be a form of shirk because it is riyah. Uh, and this is, as the Prophet said in the hadith, the thing that he fears most is minus shirk. And when they asked him, what is it? He said, it is riyah. And also concerning riyah, just quickly, and if a person does so, there's, there are two conditions for riyah. The person who originally did an act of worship to be seen. They didn't decide to do that act until they saw people were watching. Then they went to do an act of worship just to be seen. That means that action is rejected outright, no doubt about it. As for the person who's already engaged in an act, and they were doing it for the sake of Allah, but because they saw people watching them, then they felt that they wanted people to see them doing something good, and they felt good about it, and then they started to improve it for the sake of being seen by those people, then that act, it has two conditions. If they forced it, if they pushed it out of their mind, and if they rejected the idea of trying to improve their act of worship to be seen by people, then it has no harm in them. Yani because that may happen to anyone. The idea may come to them to improve their worship to be seen by others. As long as they reject it and push it away, it has no harm. But if they allow that idea to overcome them, and then they begin to improve their worship to be seen by people, then the act is also destroyed and Allah rejects it. So that the one who began an act for the sake of Allah, but then they change their intention to be seen by men, it's rejected. But if the idea came to them to do that act, and after they already engaged in it, to try to improve it to be seen, but they rejected that idea, and they forced it out of their mind, then inshallah it has no harm. The next issue, number three, is that ar is one of the types of minor shirk. Because when the Prophet ﷺ was asked about ar he called it, yani, he called ar Minor shirk, shirk asghar. And then the shaykh mentions, is it possible that minor shirk can become major shirk? And he has somewhat lengthy discussion, but in any case, the most important thing is that it is possible that an act of minor shirk, it might be considered as major shirk, that is, if a person continues doing it all the time. Yani all of their actions, they're always doing to be seen. If it happened, once in a while or now and then, it would be considered as minor shirk. But if they always do their actions purely to be seen by others, then this may cause that which is considered as minor shirk to become major shirk. Because whatever they're doing, it is originally supposed to be for Allah, but they're always doing it to be seen by others. There's no ikhlas, there's no yani, sincerity for the sake of Allah, and therefore yani, this may become major shirk. The next issue is that the Prophet ﷺ feared the thing that he feared most for the righteous because he was talking to the Sahaba, the companions it is minor shirk and that is because it easily enters into the heart of the, heart of the people without almost any notice it is very subtle and some described it as inconspicuous shirk shirk khafi as in some of the hadith it was mentioned and the person almost doesn't notice it and most people 
their soul or their self or their inner being is inclined towards and agrees with and is pleased with being praised when they're doing good deeds. And a person usually has the inclination to accept praise and to be pleased with their self when others see them doing something good. And this is one of the ways to uh, and for this reason it is a very dangerous thing because it's easy for the person for it to overcome someone. And the fifth point is the nearness of Al-Jannah and Al-Nar. It is very near. Yani the only thing between anyone and the paradise or the hellfire is dying on shirk or dying on tawheed. It is something that is very near. It is not far. And the seventh issue is the combination of the joining between the nearness of paradise and hellfire in one hadith. Yani in the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever dies without worshipping anything with him, that he would enter the paradise, and whoever died worshipping anything with him, he would enter the hellfire. Both of these things are near and they are close, and they are joined together in one hadith. Because the action that the person does, it may be the same action, or nearly the same action, but one doing it for the sake of Allah, and one doing it for other than Allah. The same action, for example, of sacrifice. If it is for Allah, it will be a reason to enter paradise. But if it, the same uh, sacrifice is done for the idols or other than Allah, there will be a reason for the person to enter the hellfire. So the same or similar action, it may be the cause of a person entering either one of them. Therefore he says the combining of these two things which are very close. Uh, then he says, number seven, that whoever meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, worshipping something along with him, that he would enter the paradise and whoever... Even if, وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ أَعْبَدِ النَّاسِ yani that whoever meets Allah on Yom Qiyamah, while they have made shirk, they would enter the hellfire, even if they were the most religious, or the most yani, uh, well-known of those who are doing acts of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if they were the, most, the best of worshipers, yani in terms of the amount of worship that they do, but if they meet Allah with shirk, then that person would definitely enter the hellfire. Uh, and of course, it is guaranteed if it is shirk al-akbar, they would definitely enter the hellfire. Uh, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, as he mentions here, إِنَّهُ مَا يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَا أَوَاهُ النَّارِ That whoever, verily the one who makes shirk with Allah, then Allah has made it forbidden for him to enter the paradise, and his place or his destination or his final يعني, resting place, it is the hellfire. However, if it was minus shirk, then Allah would punish him in accordance with his sins and then he would enter the paradise. Point number eight, al al-azima. Yani the great issue, it is the asking of Al-Khalil Ibrahim salam for him and his children wiqaya ibadat al-asnam, that they be screened or protected or guarded from the worship of idols. And this is taken from the words of Ibrahim, وَجَنُبْنِي وَبَنِيَّ and نَعْبُدُ الْأَسْنَامِ And this is indeed a great issue if we will reflect upon who is Ibrahim and that he is asking Allah to protect him from worshipping idols. From worshipping idols, then what about you and I? And if he feared it for himself and his children, how much more should we also fear it and not delude ourselves into thinking that we cannot fall into shirk? Issue number nine, it is the consideration of Ibrahim, of the condition of Al-Aqsar, yani the majority of the people, as Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab says, اعتباره بحال الأكثر yani his view of the condition of the majority of people in the words, in his words, that verily those idols have caused kathiran min al-nas to go astray. And there's a difference between kathiran and Aqsar, and for that reason, 
يعني, there's a comment here from the Shaykh that uh, perhaps the ayat indicates that many people were led astray and are led astray by the idols and not necessarily most of the people. In any case, most or many, in any case it is something to be feared if we find that many of the people or most of the people are being led astray by idols to the worship of other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Point number 10. That in this hadith or in this chapter there is a tafsir or an explanation of La ilaha illallah as was mentioned by Al-Bukhari. Perhaps he is referring to the hadith that is narrated from Bukhari here Min mata wa huwa yad'u min dunillah niddan dakhla And in this hadith reported by Al-Bukhari that whoever dies while he is calling upon or supplicating or offering worship to someone or something as an equal to Allah then he would enter the hellfire. In this hadith and in this chapter, there is an explanation of the meaning of La ilaha illallah, which contains a nafi wal isbat. La ilaha is nafi, the negation of any kind of worship to other than Allah. And illallah is affirmation of the worship for Allah alone. And therefore, in this hadith, there is an, an explanation of La ilaha illallah, that is, that we have to avoid shirk by making worship for Allah alone and negating any worship for other than Allah. Uh, yani the statement of La ilaha illallah, the profession by our tongue of La ilaha illallah is of no benefit if our actions are not in accordance with the meaning of La ilaha illallah, that is negating worship for other than Allah and affirming it for Allah alone by our actions, not just by our tongue. Because whoever says La ilaha illallah is not guaranteed the paradise unless they meet the conditions or the shurut of La ilaha illallah and of the most important of them is that they act in accordance with the meaning of La ilaha illallah, meaning that they only offer worship to Allah alone and they don't offer it to anyone other than Allah. The last issue, it is fadilah to men salima min shirk yani the merit or excellence or the superiority of the one who has escaped or is secure and free from a shirk. And this is their superiority and their merit and excellence is understood both in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَيَغْفِرُوا مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ Yani that Allah doesn't forgive any shirk but He forgives whatever is less than shirk. So the people who have escaped from shirk they indeed have an excellence because they are guaranteed the maghfirah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah forgives anything less than shirk. Yani that they will get this that they will get this opportunity if they are free from shirk, they will give the opportunity of Allah's forgiveness. And if He wills, there is a chance for them. But as for the one who practices shirk, there is no chance for them. And also, in the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, This is also a merit for the people who meet Allah without making shirk. Whoever meets Allah without making shirk, then they will enter the paradise. So these are two of the merits of the people who escape from shirk that any other sin that they commit, Allah may forgive it. And also, whoever doesn't practice shirk, they're guaranteed in the paradise. This is the end of the material from this issue, and the only thing remaining now are the questions, if there are any questions or comments, uh, and the questions from the handout, inshallah, after the adhan, we can look at the questions, and if you have any questions or comments or corrections, then we can take a few moments for that, inshallah.
Shirk al Asra is it less than Al Kabair, the major sin? Shirk al Asra is a major sin. Shirk al Asra is a major sin. It is the, the Shirk is the worst and the most severe of all sins. It is the worst of all sins. And even Shirk al Asra, it is also Shirk. So it is worse than major sins. Because perhaps, according to the difference of opinion amongst the scholars, perhaps the person even who committed minor shirk, Allah will not forgive it. Whereas major sins, Allah may forgive if He wills. Is it going to act further? There is no problem if a person does something to teach the people. It is a means of da'wah. It is recorded that some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ performed wudu. Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu and performed salat to show the people. He said, I will show you how is the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. And he performed prayer with the intention of showing them how is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Whoever does something for the purpose of teaching or da'wah as long as the intention is purely for the sake of Allah, then it's, not, it's nothing wrong. It's permissible. And it, it's not real. And also it's reported that the Prophet ﷺ on one occasion had uh, told the people that he was going to uh, do a particular act. Perhaps it was Salat, I don't remember. Uh, so that they should follow it this way. In any case, there's no harm. If a person does it really sincerely for the sake of Allah, and yani the intention 
is not for people to praise them, but to teach the people and to show them there is no harm in it. Even if a person gives charity, for example, in front of people, to encourage others to give, they are not doing it to be praised, but they are trying to encourage others to do it, then it is good, it is praiseworthy. It is not uh, real. It depends on the intention of the person. It depends on it depends on the intention of the person. Allah only knows what's in their heart. If they did it because they knew in that place, amongst those people in the time that they are living in, in that society, that if it was published, that it would encourage other people to do good, there's no harm in it. As long as they are not seeking praise and fame. But if people do it because they want people to praise them, which is usually the case, but it's not for us to judge what's in anyone's heart, then that is shirk. It is riyah. Now, uh, there, there are quite a few questions. Maybe we should try to complete the questions and then in the time remaining ask the questions. Unless it's very urgent, go ahead. Because there are 11 questions here. I don't know how it's related, but uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely from shirk and jahiliyyah. And Muslims have nothing to do with Valentine's Day or other pagan holidays. It's a pagan holiday for sure. Uh, the one question from the sisters is, is it possible for a Muslim person who dies on Tawheed at the same time they committed shirk and akbar sometime during their lifetime without making repentance? Yani, if a, person, a Muslim committed major shirk and they died without repenting from it, then Allah will not forgive it. It's clear. It's nothing for us to discuss. Whoever died making major shirk, after you understand what is shirk, yani every Muslim is supposed to know what is Islam. What is Tawheed and what is Shirk? It is obligatory on every Muslim to seek knowledge. This is the essence and fundamental, the foundation of the deen. If a Muslim doesn't know that, what is the worth of the Islam? If we don't know what is Islam, if we don't know what is Tawheed, how can you be considered as a Muslim? And the pagans think that they are Muslims. They think that they are worshippers of Allah. And they are pagan worshipping. So should we excuse them because they are ignorant? Everyone is obligated to know. And the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't leave people without this knowledge. But before He brought us into this world, he, he brought Adam out and from his, from his loins he brought all of his offspring and he made every person who will come into this world to testify Am I not your Lord? And everyone knows that Allah is their Lord and that Allah alone deserves to be worshipped and that's in the nature of the human being and then after that he sent prophets and messengers and he sent the people of Dao to call the people to the way and to show the people to the way and it's obligatory on us to ask and it's obligatory on others to call and if a person didn't act, and they didn't make any effort to know, and then they worshipped other than Allah, Allah will never forgive it. It's the worst thing that a person can do. If a person commits murder, if they commit adultery, if they stole, that's less than worshipping something along with Allah. There's nothing equal to it. There's no other sin equal to it. Whoever does so, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they have denied him. فَقَدْ إِفْتَرَى إِثْمًا عَظِيمًا A sin which is supreme, which has nothing equal to it. Let me just quickly look at the... There's a, uh, there's a correction on the handout, the second ayat, it should be Surah Ibrahim 14.35 instead of Surah to Ra'ad 13.35. Jazakallah khair. Now, it should be 14. And Surah Ibrahim. Now, uh, the questions explain the relationship between this chapter heading and the title Kitab al-Tawheed. I think it's very clear that the uh, fear from shirk is in order to preserve your tawheed. Why is shirk the most dangerous, wicked, and severely punished sin which will not be forgiven? It's because it's like making something equal to Allah and attributing to Allah imperfection. 
when you make something yani, as an equal to him. Mention the types of shirk, defining each type. What are the types of shirk? Major and minor. And what, what is major shirk and what is minor shirk? Now, major shirk is when you offer an act of worship or do something that is the exclusive right of Allah for other than Allah. And minor shirk is those things that lead to major shirk or riyah, showing off, or doing an act without pure, purely doing it for the sake of Allah, yani without pure ikhlas and so on. Shirk al-Khafi, khafi, it means hidden or subtle or inconspicuous shirk. It means that type of shirk which is the indetectable, such as a person says, MashaAllah wa shit. A person said that in the presence of the Prophet it is as you and Allah, it is as Allah wills and you will. Yani here saying Allah and you is like making that person equal with Allah. And this is shirk. The Prophet said, Aj'altani lillahi niddan, have you made me an equal to Allah? So this is a type of shirk that is inconspicuous, khafi. It is not easily detectable because the person doesn't notice that they are doing shirk. It's not like if they go to an idol and bow to it. It's clear that this is shirk. So if a person says something or does something that's not so visible or known, not easily detectable, this is shirk and khafi. In any case, this requires a long discussion. Yani swearing by other than Allah, for example, saying I swear by uh, naam like this. This is also yani minor shirk and shirk al khafi. It requires a lengthy discussion. The shirk al asghar and shirk al khafi requires a lengthy discussion. Perhaps. We can uh, print something and give it out for discussion because there's no time to cover it fully. Define a riya and explain why it should be feared. What is riya and why should it be feared? It is doing something, showing off. Doing something that as an act of, for Allah, but doing it to be seen by other people to be praised by them. It should be feared because it's, yani, it's, it's difficult for a person to detect and it may easily overcome someone. And it is shirk, and it, it is a dangerous thing. If a person dies having committed a shirk at Asghar, will, should be, will he be in the fire eternally? Explain. Yani if a person dies with shirk at Asghar, he will not be in the fire eternally. Even if he has to be punished, then he will come out if it's only shirk Asghar. Explain what is meant by dua, supplication in the hadith, whoever died while supplicating another deity besides Allah. What is meant by dua, supplication here? Naam? Ibadah. Yani any type of ibadah. And also dua is of two types. And both of them are intended here. Dua al-ibadah. Meaning any kind of sacrifice, any kind of worship that anyone offers to other than Allah. This is dua. This is meant here. As well as dua al-mas'ala. Asking or calling on someone other than Allah for that which they don't have the ability to do. Something that only Allah has the ability to do here. Dua it means both types of dua. Dua al-mas'ala as well as dua al-ibadah. Mention the two types of dua and give an example for each. We just mentioned the two types and we gave examples. What do we benefit or understand from the nafi, negation in the words, whoever meets Allah without associating partners with him? Tayyib, inshallah, we, you can look at the remainder of the questions, huh? Now, nafi of shirk, it means affirmation of tawheed. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamnika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah.